Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. So, all right, you, you guys ready to dive into part two of Inconceivable? I'm just going to trust you are because I can't hear you. So here's what I want to do today. And honestly, on Tuesday, I took a full-on pivot in terms of what I was going to talk about, which I never do because my personality is like I need to work three to four to two months uh, ahead in advance. That's just how um, I feel comfortable. But I just felt like listening to some of the questions I was getting and where people were at, I just needed to, to call an audible on this message. And I just want to be really sensitive to where we're at in the season to go, man, sometimes we got to scrap plans and just lean into what's actually going on what people are actually feeling. So here's what I want to answer today is why would a good God allow bad things? And like, that's the age old question. And it's not like I'm going to answer it in a message, but more than anything, what I want to do is give some hope around this question. And let's make it more specific. Why would a good God allow COVID-19? And all of the implications of that, all the stuff which is physical and economic and the disruption of your life and your job and your family and your plans and all of those things. And I know to varying degrees we've been affected, but we have all been affected. And at some level, we've been, all been affected globally. So like, why would God allow that? Now, before I dive into where I want to go with that question, let me just um, kind of come around this idea. And I don't want to land here too long because I know when you're in the midst of something, it's more emotional than it, than it is intellectual. But, but here's the thing that's funny is when we ask that question, we never ask it um, from a micro level. It's always from a macro level. Like, why would God allow the bad out there, whatever that is? Like right now, it's all this stuff we're dealing with. Why would God allow the bad in the world? But it's always macro, it's never micro. Like it's never about the bad in me, it's always about the bad out there somewhere. And I know the reason we do that is because like, well, the bad in me is not as bad as the bad in the world or all my questions about like nature and viruses and why would God allow all of, of this? But we never focus on that question. Like nobody ever asked the question, hey, how could God allow me to happen? Like we never ask that. Like we, we never contemplate the question of like, why would God just continue to allow me to go on without doing anything about me? Like we never do that. And, and I get it because we, we don't really see the bad in us as at the level of the bad in the world around us. But really when that is our way of thinking, it's what's called an unfalsifiable premise. And what that means is God can't exist if I exist. And so the only way to prove to me that God exists is for me to not exist. But then I wouldn't exist, so it really wouldn't matter. And so it's just, it, intellectually, it doesn't hold up. Now, I say all that to say this. That doesn't really matter when you're in the middle of suffering. You don't really want intellectual answers to your problems, but it's just something to think about in terms of that big question. But it's much more emotional than that. So really what I want to land on is this. If you're in a place right now where you're just afraid and you're scared, and we just have to speak to some of this right now, and it's been a struggle, and you've even found yourself maybe losing faith a little bit, I just want to encourage you. All of Jesus' initial followers, people who saw more miracles than you are ever going to see, all of them struggled with this question. And in fact, none of them really got it until the very end. And so this guy by the name of John, he sits down and he writes one of the gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he writes about Jesus' life and he had a very interesting perspective. And he said, here's the thing that I observed as I lived and walked with Jesus is that Jesus, who I believe was 100% God, came to planet Earth. And rather than just remove all of the bad, here's the weird, maybe uncomfortable thing, is that he, that he lived and coexisted with the bad. Like he lived alongside of it. And then rather than just eliminating all of the bad, and John would say, and rather than just eliminating me, he decided to come alongside of me and love me. 
And then he went to work to eliminate the bad in me. And then he did something to ultimately eliminate the bad in the world that one day it's going to be different. But I'm just telling you, it was this weird thing where he came and he coexisted with bad and he didn't eliminate it immediately. But instead, he loved me in the midst of all of the bad, in the midst of all of my evil. One day, John records this narrative that puts this on display more than anything else maybe that Jesus did. And it's one of the most powerful narratives in all of history and in the scriptures. And what is weird about it and maybe uncomfortable about it is that Jesus actually uses an incident where he manufactures a sign. And what I mean by a sign is it was bigger than just a miracle because a sign is something that Jesus would do to point people to something bigger and something greater, most importantly, himself. And so this narrative where Jesus manufactures a sign to validate that he is who he says he is. He manufactures a sign so that he could honestly speak hope into this question of how could God coexist alongside of bad? Why would God allow this? And in this manufactured sign and in this narrative, it was actually the linchpin that ultimately led people to kill Jesus. And so Jesus at this point where I'm gonna pick it up in his ministry, He's not as popular anymore. People want to kill him. He's forced their hand because so many people are following him. And then this was the incident, the tipping point that just caused everything to change. And so Jesus had just had this run in with religious leaders in the temple and he goes away with his guys. And then suddenly he gets word about something that is going to set up ultimately what he wants to do. And it's recorded in John chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse one. And um, I may read a couple of verses that are not going to be on the bottom of the screen. So if you actually want to turn to it on your YouVersion Bible app, or if you've got a physical Bible in your house somewhere, dust it off, get it out. Um, John chapter 11, because I may um, skip um, some verses or add some verses that are not in here. So here's where the narrative picks up. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem where Jesus was at, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. In verse 3, word got to Jesus and it said, Lord... The one that you love is sick. Now that's really interesting because you just stop there. Like how many people could say that about you? Like how many people could come and without introducing a name, just go, hey, like the one that you love, we don't even need a name because you're that tight. They're, they're in trouble. Like there's not many relationships like that, which immediately sets up this dynamic where you assume certain things are going to happen with that kind of relationship, Right. Hey, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And then I'm just telling you what starts to happen here is so uncomfortable. So you got to follow me all the way to the end and not click off of YouTube or not go browsing something else on Facebook and just stay with me. But verse four, when he heard this, Jesus, he said this, the sickness is not going to end in death. Now, the only problem about that is by the time Jesus gets this message, Lazarus was already dead. So it's like, Jesus, you're already behind the curb. And then he says this, no, it is for God's <clears throat> glory. And right there, I'm just telling you, that's uncomfortable. And John, as he's writing this, he's like, in the moment, we're like, what? So you're saying that this sickness, that this thing, this brokenness, not only does it not disprove the existence of God, that in some ways it might actually prove the existence of God? That, that like you're allowing this. And then Jesus says this, no, it's for God's glory so that. If you're watching right now in the comment section, just put so that, so that, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, this is interesting because Jesus takes this thing that is not just like the bad or evil in the world, because we see that every day, like bad people, evil behavior that happens. But this is bigger than that. This is like nature. This is tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis. And why does it happen? And if God is overall, why doesn't he stop it? And, and viruses that are disrupting everything and people are suffering and it's destroying economies. Jesus uses that in this moment. And I'm telling you, he introduces this disruptive view about God and about suffering and about evil and about sickness. And he's like, sometimes God's going to remove you from it. And then sometimes God's going to take you through it. And it doesn't actually disprove his existence. It actually points to his glory. And at this point, point, like us, all of them are like, well, we don't want that. 
And so Jesus is like, so that God's son may be glorified. And then verse five, I think John's like, okay, real quick, I got to write this verse because this is causing a lot of people problems who are going to read this story later on. So verse five, he's like, now you just need to know this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, and her sister and Lazarus. John, why you had to write that? Because everybody who reads this story is going to wonder whether that's true. With what I just said and with what I'm about to say, because it only gets worse. The first question is, hey, Jesus, do you even like these guys? Are you even friends with Lazarus? And John's like, no, no, no. They were like best friends. Like Jesus loved these guys. But at this point, it doesn't really look like it. For you right now, it may not really look like it because of the circumstances and where you thought you were at with God and your relationship and he loves me and I've tried to be faithful to him and then how that should align with what you're walking through. It just doesn't look like it. And I think it's one of the reasons that Jesus allows this moment to happen because it wasn't just for them. It was for you. It was for me. It was for those moments where we're walking through something. And verse six, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, now just pause for a second. This is our story. When Jesus heard, like when Jesus heard you because you've been crying and pleading and asking and telling, when Jesus heard that it's stage four, when Jesus heard that you lost your job, when Jesus heard that the business may not make it, when Jesus heard that like somebody's struggling with this, this virus that's close to you, when Jesus heard that the anxiety and the fear is overwhelming you, when Jesus heard so uncomfortable, he stayed. Like the guys are getting ready to get up and go and Jesus like, sit down. Hey, hey Jesus, they, we don't really wanna go, um, but they just said that your friend Lazarus is sick and he's about to die, like why, why are we staying here? And not only that, he stayed there two more days. Heard that he was sick, heard that things weren't well. Jesus, according to him, is the only one that could do anything about it. And he intentionally delays and stays where he's at. And after two days, Jesus finally talks to his guys. And I don't know if they're having dinner or whatever. He's like, okay, guys, it's time to go. We're going to go. And the guys immediately, they don't want to go. They care about Lazarus, but they know that if they go back to Bethany, that's the heart of where all the, the disruption is. And that they tried to kill Jesus the last time he was here. So if they go back there again, they're going to try to stone Jesus. And so his guys are like, okay, wait, 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 Jesus. Let, like, hold up for a second. I don't know if we, we, I don't know if we should go back to Bethany because if we go back to Bethany, we're concerned, about, uh, we're concerned about you and what's gonna happen to you. So I'm not sure that that's the best plan of action because they're, they're totally concerned about themselves in this moment. And they know, come on, if you get stoned and you're close to the guy who's being stoned, one of those things has the opportunity to go awry and it's gonna end badly for you. So they're like, I don't think we should go down to Bethany. And so Jesus answered, and just hold it for a second. This, I love this next verse because Jesus does a full on Jesus thing where if you've read, this is where you struggle maybe with the New Testament when you read it because Jesus will be in the middle of something and then seemingly he will just totally switch subjects and you're like, Jesus, are you even with us? Like that's not what we were talking about. And what Jesus does next, you've probably skipped over these verses if you've ever read the story because it just doesn't seem to make sense. And I'm telling you, it underscores the brilliance of Jesus. Because what he says next, he starts to set us up for how we find hope in the middle of a crisis. And so he says this to his guys who are like, I don't know if we should go down to Bethany. Jesus answered, verse nine, are there not 12 hours of daylight? What? Like Jesus, are you even listening to our conversation? What does that have to do with anything? Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime is not going to stumble, for they see by the world's light. Verse 10, it's when a person walks at night that they stumble because they have no light. They're like, what, what is your point? What does that have to do? Yeah, we understand that. That's pretty basic. What, like, what is your point in all this? And here was Jesus' point. The, the 12 hours that he's talking about right now equals opportunity. And what Jesus is setting them up on is this. Guys, you are as close as you are ever going to be to the physical presence of the light of the world. And in fact, you need to lean in and you need to follow me right now. And you need to get as close to me as you can right now, because it's about to get really, really dark. 
And I'm telling you, if Jesus would say, if you would lean into me right now, you are gonna see more clearly than you are ever going to see in your life. But if you stay here huddled up out of fear, you are gonna miss what God's about to do. You're gonna miss what I'm about to set up. You are gonna miss what I am literally going to rearrange for all of history to give people hope when things are at their darkest. And I think he would say to you right now, if you refuse to follow me as the light of the world, if you refuse to lean into me in the midst of everything that's going on right now, I'm just telling you, you will stumble around in darkness trying to make sense of what's going on in the world around you. And it's not going to make sense. Why would God allow this? Why would God coexist with bad? Why wouldn't God remove this? Why wouldn't God put an end to this virus? Why wouldn't God help those who are marginalized? And it just seems like he doesn't hear. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is this, listen, Apart from the author of life, life has no meaning and it's hard to understand. And ultimately you will end up in desperation. This is why Richard Dawkins, like if you're just joining us right now and you're like, I'm not sure what I believe and you, you know, you're struggling with things, I'm gonna quote an atheist for you, so lean into this because what he says, if this is all there is, is actually true in the river out of Eden, he says this, this is Richard Dawkins, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And Jesus is like, outside of me, that's what you're left with. And so guys, and I think he says to us 2000 years later, you have got to follow me out of your fear. And if you stayed huddled up right here, you are gonna miss what I'm gonna do on the other side of this. And come on, sometimes faith is not just the change of your circumstances. Sometimes faith is the change of your perspective. And Jesus is like, I am the light of the world. And I know there's a lot of fear. I know you don't know what's gonna happen in Bethany. I know there's a lot of anxiety, but you need to follow me because following me is gonna give you the most amount of clarity that you are ever gonna get in life. And if you wanna make sense of life when it seems so random, you have got to follow the author of life. And so then Jesus says, okay, guys, we gotta go. Like Lazarus is asleep and because and they, they still don't want to go, they start giving Jesus medical advice. They're like, well, Jesus, that's great that he's asleep. He just needs to sleep a little longer and he needs to get some fluids in him and he's going to feel, but he's going to recover. So that's actually really good news. So I think we just need to stay here. And then Jesus breaks it down for him. You can read the verses for yourself. Finally, he's like, hey guys, he's, he's, he passed away. And they're so confused because Jesus is like, well, you just said that this sickness was not gonna end in death and you waited here two days and now Lazarus is dead. And then what he says in verse 15, this is, if you're trying to make up a religion and get people to follow Jesus, you just don't write this verse. You just leave this out. Verse 15, John writes this. This is what Jesus said. And for your sake, guys, I'm glad that I wasn't there. I bet Lazarus isn't glad. I bet Mary's not glad. I bet Martha's not glad. And I'm telling you right here, like if you're Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, this is, this is the worst thing ever. If you're us, this is the best thing ever. Because in this moment, Jesus is leading them somewhere. And, and for their sake, it's, it's not a good day. For our sake, it's one of the best days because Jesus is creating this moment. He didn't create death. That was not his plan, but he's using it and he's manufacturing this moment to give hope to the world. And in this moment, he allows this to happen for our sake. And for the sake of anybody who's lost anybody, and for the sake of anybody who's lost a kid or sat at the bedside of a spouse, anybody who's been consumed and overwhelmed with fear and worry and anxiety, for anybody who's been on the edge of, I don't know if I can live and move forward, for anybody who's been at the precipice of severe loss that could affect every part of their life. In this moment, Jesus is like, this is not just for your sake, it's for your sake. So that, meaning there is something on the other side, you may believe. So guys, let's go. 
Now, <laughs> here's what I love, because this next verse is one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. And you have a guy like this in your circle. This, this is one of your friends. And by the way, if it's one of your friends right now, you may be, this should be severe social distancing, like, like hook up with him after COVID-19 is all over because you don't need um, these voices feeding you because everybody's got a Thomas in their group. Verse 16, I love this. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Let's go. Hey, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is about to be dead because they tried to kill him last time. We'll die with him. So guys, let's go so all of us can die with Jesus. And so they get, they get up and Jesus is like, okay, thanks, Thomas. Let's go. And they set out to go. And I'm telling you, the guys didn't want to go before. They really don't want to go now because now it's been four days. And not only are they afraid for their life, Jesus' disciples are like, how do we explain this to Mary and Martha? That Jesus gets word and he just decides to chill for two more days. And then we head down here. And by the way, uh, where we were at in, in the journey to Bethlehem, it's like a two mile journey. It's not that far. It's not that difficult. And can you just, let's get real for a second. Can you imagine Mary and Martha every day for all four days when everybody in the town knows that she's close to Jesus? Everybody knows that they're best friends with Jesus. Everybody knows that Lazarus and Jesus are really, really tight. And they know about the rumors of Jesus doing incredible miracles. And so for four days, all of their friends in the village are coming over, bringing potluck, going, Mary, Martha, I thought you were friends with Jesus. I thought you guys were close with Jesus. I thought Jesus was Lazarus's best friends. Where's Jesus? And finally, Mary and Martha has, have got to be like, we don't know where Jesus is at. We don't know. Yes, we're best friends. Yes, we've supported his ministry. Yes, he was best friends with Lazarus. I don't know where Jesus is. And this is so real and you can so get the emotion. This is why I wanted to drop into this narrative because it's just, it's what we feel. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus. This is where some of us are at. If you had been here, if you had just come, my brother wouldn't be dead. Can I just encourage you for a second? If you've ever been there or if you're there right now, where there's just sometimes the inevitable, okay, God, if you really are who you say you are, and I, I believe, even though maybe my belief is wavering, you could have done something about this. And can I just encourage you, if you're there right now, there's nothing wrong with your faith. And maybe this isn't emotionally satisfying, but maybe it's helpful in context, is that bad things happen to friend of Jesus people all the time best friends of Jesus people. And Jesus is like, I didn't come, Martha, for your sake. And I didn't come for your sake. But I know, verse 22, this is Martha. This is her like, I'm trying to muster up some faith. I know that even now God's gonna give you whatever you ask. Martha's like, we've heard the stories. We know that you talked to nature and nature backed off and was like, okay, we're gonna obey you. We know that you touched blind people and they could see. We know that one day this woman touched your robe and she was miraculously healed and you didn't even know those people's names. I know you can do this, Jesus, if you want to do this. I know you could stop this. I know you could have been here. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Jesus is the only one who could have got away with this in this moment. Your brother is going to rise again. And Martha, at this point, thinks Jesus is doing what a lot of Christians do because they lack self-awareness. He's just giving some trite theology. He's just pulling out a verse when people are suffering. He's just trying to make somebody else feel better because a lot of times we don't want to make them feel better. We just don't want to feel bad. And so we want to make them feel better so we don't feel bad. And so we just love to throw out Bible verses and cliches and theology. And can I just say to you, sometimes you just need to enter into people's pain and you need to feel it and you need to stop trying to give them trite answers. And so that's what actually Martha thinks Jesus is doing. And so she says to him, Martha answered verse 24, I know he's gonna rise again at the resurrection of the last day, but I want that to happen right now. So I get the theology. I know he's gonna rise again. I know all of that stuff, Jesus, I, I get it, but that's not really helping me right now. And then what Jesus does next, just to stay with me, is so personal. And it's a shadow of what had happened hundreds of years before when 
when God was about to send Moses into an impossible situation and Moses felt really overwhelmed and was scared and he was fearful and he was insecure and, and there was this amazing moment with a burning bush, which is weird if you haven't grown up in the church, but you can read that in, in Exodus and, and, and there God was with Moses and Moses is so afraid and, and God says, hey, Moses, I'm calling you, so just go, move past your fear because I am. Because Moses was like, wait a minute, what's your name? And Jesus was like, I am. And Moses was like, you didn't hear my question. Like, what's your, I, I am. Moses, I am whatever you need whenever you need it. I am your comfort. I'm your peace when you don't have any peace. I'm your will to live when you don't have a will to live. I'm your endurance. I am your faith. I am whatever you need when you need it. And in this moment to Martha, he's going, Martha, listen, this is not theology. I'm not throwing a verse at you. It's very, very personal. I'm telling you, I am. What do you need right now? And what Martha needed right now is what Jesus said next. Martha, I am the resurrection in the life. I am the resurrection in the life, meaning light, Martha, has come and there is hope. And if I ask you to walk through it, I will be with you through it. And the one who believes, and this is not like belief, intellectual, like it's a category. The one who literally trusts him, places the weight of their life in me will live even though they die. So, hey, Martha, just so you know, I'm not trying to give you too much theology, but you're going to die, but you're not going to die. And in this moment, Jesus couldn't be any clearer. This is not all there is, and you are not home yet. You are in the middle of the story. And so even in me, you will live even though you die. And then she says to her, and this is such a difficult question in this moment, do you believe this? Now, can I just tell you real quick, this is such an important thing to understand. If you grew up in an environment that if I just have enough faith, then God's gonna do it and change the circumstances. And usually the, if you have enough faith, God's gonna do it. Those people are lining their pockets in a pretty big way. Jesus never promised that. And can I just tell you that nowhere in the scriptures does it talk about the amount of faith. The amount of faith is really irrelevant. It's about the object of your faith. And Jesus in this moment is like, I want you to follow me. I want you to look at me. And so Martha, you only need about 10% faith to come to me. And so in this moment, I think Martha's going, okay, Jesus, I don't understand. I don't know why you didn't come. I don't know why you haven't done something about this. But I have just enough faith to believe this. So yes, Lord, I believe. And so then Martha goes back to the house and she tells Mary, if you know the, the narrative, and Mary runs out of their house and there's mourners and they've all been kind of huddled there for days. Everybody thinks she's going back to the tomb. Instead, she hears about Jesus and she runs out onto the road to meet Jesus. And in verse 33, just lean in with me for just a second. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. This is so powerful. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. And they say, come and see, Lord. And just before we go on, this may be one of the big reasons right here, because this is what is so fascinating to me. Jesus knew the end of the story. Jesus knew what was about to happen. Some of you, maybe you've never read this before. You've never been around church. I'm glad you're joining us. You don't know the end of the story. But Jesus knew the end of the story. Jesus knew what was about to happen next. And yet even knowing the end of the story, he allowed himself to enter into this moment and feel what everybody else was feeling. In this moment was divine empathy on display. I think it's why Peter, Peter was there in the moment. I think it's why Peter was able later to wrote, listen, I just want to tell you, later he wrote, I, I just want to tell you that you can cast all of your anxiety, all of your cares, all the stuff where you're not sure how it's going to work out. You're not sure whether you're going to move past the diagnosis. You're not sure whether your business is going to make it. You're not sure how this is going to affect your family. You're not sure how it's going to affect the next season. Some dreams have died. You're not sure about the relationship. There's questions about how God could allow this 
this? Why, why God hasn't intervened? And Peter's like, I'm just telling you, you can cast all of your anxiety, all of those cares on Jesus because I'm telling you, take it to the bank. He cares for you. They're like, Peter, how do you know that? Because I was there. I'm telling you, if you would have been there that day, if you would have seen Jesus, if you would have watched Jesus, if you could have physically been in the moment, I watched him, even though he knew what was gonna happen, I watched him stop, I watched him enter into the pain, I watched him feel it. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I knew without a doubt, he cares for me, he cares for you. And I think it's why what John writes next, we, we love to make in some ways like light of this verse. It, I, I don't think you can underestimate the power of this verse. And this was not a trivial detail. And it's why I love that the writers who assembled the Bible from these ancient writings gave it its own verse number. So in the next moment, John writes, and Jesus wept. He knew exactly what was gonna happen on the other side and yet he entered into the pain and he felt all of it. And then the Jews said, verse 36, see how he loved him? And this is where there's, there's a place for your doubt, verse 37, because this is just, this is how we would respond. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Like we love that he's feeling it. We love that he's crying. We love that he's entering into the pain. From everything we've heard about Jesus, we're pretty sure that actually this wouldn't even have had to have happened. Why didn't he just circumvent this and stop it before we got to the tears? And this is, this is just real. This is what some of us feel. If he could have, he would have, but since he didn't, he can't. If he could have, he would have, but since he didn't, he can't. Can I just say that this is why this narrative is so powerful because Jesus condenses all of eternity. And this is why there is such hope in this all of eternity into a single afternoon. I think his whole point in this narrative, his whole point in leveraging this and allowing this sign to take place was he condensed all of eternity into a single afternoon, all of the pain, all of the disappointment, all of the fear that we fear, all of the struggling, all of the God, why didn't you show up? Why aren't you here? Why did you delay? Why are you late? All the unanswered prayers, the faith anyway, the tears of God, and then ultimately the resolution. And he condenses all of it into like the whole scope of our eternity. He condenses all into an afternoon so that we could live with hope. And so verse 39, Jesus went to the tomb and he said, take away the stone. And Martha's like, but Lord, how do I say this? How, how do I, 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 I'm trying to be respectful. You, you're, you're so late. You are so late. And by this time, there's, there's like a bad odor because he's been in there for four days. And then Jesus said to them and to us, didn't I not tell you? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you if you believe you're gonna see the glory of God? Hey guys, 2000 years later, didn't I tell you? Didn't I give you a heads up? You're like, yeah, but when's that? I wanna see the glory of God right now. And that's, that's the issue. Jesus condenses all of eternity into an afternoon. But he's like, listen, I just wanna remind you, if you believe, if you place the weight of your life, your trust in me, I will give you clarity even in the midst of the randomness because the author of life is the only one who can make sense out of life. You will see the glory of God. And so Jesus said, didn't I tell you? And then he goes and he <laughs> tells them to take away the stone and everybody is cringing. And then the next thing that happens, you can read it for yourself, is it's one of the most dramatic moments in the scripture. It's my favorite prayer. Jesus begins to pray. And his prayer, this is my paraphrase, is basically like, hey, hey, Father, I just want to talk to you right now, not because we need to talk, but I want them to know how closely connected we are, how closely connected I am to you and you are to me. And the fact that you sent me and I came to planet Earth fully man, but I'm also fully God and I'm going back to you and I've got a purpose and a will right now. So I'm just praying this so everybody around would know this, like we're up to something, there's a purpose and you and I are together on this, amen. 
And then verse 33, when he said this little prayer, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth was around his face. He's a mummy, basically. And Jesus said to them, and I got to land on this point for just a second. I'm going to move on because it, it just so sticks out to me. and It's so powerful. And I think some of you, I'm believing, just need to hear it. He says this to Lazarus, Lazarus, and this, this is not by accident. Nothing is in the scripture by accident. Take off the grave clothes. Guys, Take, he needs some help. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. And I just want to tell you, as a follower of Jesus, or if you begin a relationship to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm hoping hundreds of you today would do that. You just need to know this. I don't know what the circumstances are going to look like. We were never promised pain-free, problem-free, but Jesus is going to lead you through. And here's the thing you need to know. When Jesus leads you through, you've got a decision because Jesus is going to take responsibility for what he can take responsibility for. He's going to do what you would never be able to do, but then he's going to ask you to do what only you can do. So some of you, Jesus is going to save you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to give you new life and new power over that habit, over that addiction, over living as a victim because of your past and your childhood. And he's going to allow you to go free. He's going to bring you through and show off his glory and do something in your life. But he's going to say to you, you got to take off the grave clothes. I'll bring you through, but it's up to you whether you're going to live as a victim. I'll bring you through, but it's going to be up to you whether you continue to trust or hold on to the fear from your past. I'll bring you through, but it's up to you if you're going to live as somebody who's being conquered by habits in sin, when instead I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So I will bring you out of the grave. I will resurrect dead things. I can heal you. I can bring you out, but it's up to you to take off your grave clothes and live in the freedom that I have given you. And some of you today, Jesus has already brought you out and you're living as a victim or you're living as somebody who's been defeated or you're living as somebody who's being conquered by fear when Jesus has already conquered that for you, but you're walking around with grave clothes on and you will not go free even though he set you free. So he says, verse 45, therefore, therefore, many... As a result of what just happened, this is the understatement, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, by the way, they came for a funeral and they got a resurrection. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. I bet they did. If you had seen what they saw that afternoon, like, I bet they did. Can I just tell you this real quick? And then we'll start to close this out. Do not stop before you get to the therefore. And I, I don't know where that's at, and I don't know what that's going to lead to, and I don't know what that's going to look like. Again, like just to be real, but do not stop before you get to the therefore. Do not walk away till you get to that point. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to play with you. I'm not going to give you trite little. Hey, this is. We don't know what. Like you can look around right now and go, Hey, what is God doing? I don't know fully what God is doing, but I know God is moving. And here's what I know that God is not doing. This is what I know is not happening. It is not a lack of God's love, God's activity, God's presence. God's work, because here's what you have to know. At the cross, it was the worst day in heaven, but it was the greatest day on earth. It was the epicenter of God's greatest activity to mankind. God will never waste a hurt. God will never waste a pain. God will never waste any issue that you are walking through. And the question to you and to me, the question to us, church, is can you maintain faith in the middle of the story? Don't walk away before the therefore. And I just want to end with this. I think we got three options. You can abandon faith, and some of you, that's where you're at right now, and I get it. You can minimize your pain. You can act like it doesn't exist. You can act like what we're walking through right now is not bad, which all that does is it forces it to control you. Or you can wrestle through it which is I think where a lot of us are. And I wanna to speak to some of you directly that are watching from around the country and some around the world. And um, we have so many that have questions that tune in to what God is doing at Centerpoint, which I absolutely love. So I wanna to speak to you for a second where maybe you just have lost faith and you're struggling. I wanna encourage you that you can come back. I wanna encourage you, you can come back because some of you walked away from an unfulfilled promise that Jesus never made you.
And that may be un, emotionally unsatisfy, unsatisfying, meaning it doesn't solve all the problems, but maybe it's the context that you need that nothing was wrong with your faith. Nothing was wrong with you. The, the things that we've experienced in our experience right now were never a part of God's plan. And one day, because of what he did by defeating death, all wrongs are going to be made right. And until that day, we wrestle through it with sometimes doubts, and sometimes questions. And I just want to invite you, you can come back, not with perfect faith. It is not the amount of faith. It is the object of your faith to go, Jesus, I am going to follow you and I'm going to trust you. And I've got questions about why you didn't, why you're allowing, why you didn't show up earlier, why you didn't heal my relationship, why we're all walking through this right now. But I have just enough faith like Martha to say, Jesus, I believe. In fact, that was the whole point of John's letter. It wasn't just for Jesus to show off. It was for John to reveal something to us. And he says this in John 20, verse 31. This was his agenda. And I just want to speak to some of you right now because I know Jesus is working in your heart and this is a moment that could change everything. Here's what John wrote. But these are written, this, this miracle, this sign, everything that Jesus did, this is the one agenda so that you may believe so that you may not just believe like intellectually, that you may trust in and lean the weight of your life into what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, trusting in, leaning the weight of your life, like I lean the weight of, of my weight onto this chair to go, Jesus, I'm trusting you. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the Messiah. And sometimes I'm wavering. Sometimes I have doubts. Sometimes there are questions. But I have just enough faith to believe. And by believing, John said, you will have life in his name. And I just want to tell you today, the only way to find life is through one name, and that name is Jesus. And I'm telling you, when this sign happened, even secular historians write that there was such a momentum around people flocking to the message of Jesus that the movement started to be uncontrollable. And it wasn't around primarily what Jesus taught. It was around what they saw. Jesus brought a dead man back to life. So as we end, let me just speak to another group of you real fast, that you're just struggling right now. You're struggling with uncertainty. You're struggling with fear. You're struggling with questions about God. Can I encourage you on this one thing today, sometime today, and maybe do this for the next seven days? You need to kneel in prayer or do whatever you do in prayer, but you, you need to get some distraction-free moments and you just need to declare what you need from Jesus. And what I mean by one time Jesus was about to hear a, heal a blind man, he was clearly blind. And so Jesus stoops down and goes, what do you need me to do? And everybody around kind of scoffed like, Jesus, he's blind, he needs sight. And Jesus is like, I'm not asking you, I'm asking him because I want him to declare his own need because when you declare your need, it is a declaration of humility and humility is what invites the activity of God. And some of you are all up in your feelings right now. And there's all kind of stuff raging inside of you. And you have never bowed your knee physically or maybe literally to go, Jesus, I know that you already know it, but I'm coming to humble myself before you and to say, I need you. I really need you. So what do you need today? For some of you, like you, you need to know that God is able. And even if he, he isn't, you need, you need the assurance that God is strong and able. And so he says to you, I am, I am able. I bring up kings and I bring up nations and empires and emperors. And then I slide them off the pages of history like chess pieces. I control and rule nature. I set up economies and I take them down. I speak to nature and viruses and sickness. And it just has to obey every command of my voice. So you just need to know today, even in the midst of your question, I am able. And you just need to know because maybe you're struggling with God's seeming inactivity is his, his, his absence or apathy. And he says to you today, you just need to know I am, I am with you and you don't need to see it to believe it. But I'm walking alongside of you every step of the way in this journey. And for some of you, you just need to know because there's moments where you go, God, I just, it's hard to reconcile good God, bad circumstances. And so he says to you today, I am good. And I want you to believe me because come on, I didn't come to earth 
to show off my power over the darkness of hell, to set up a name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, to set up a throne that's above every other throne. I didn't come so that you could be demoralized by fear, so that you could diminish my glory, so that you could be handcuffed to, to all of the fear and the anxiety and the doubt for the rest of your life. And so you need to lean in today and cry out to me because I'm just telling you, I am good. And by the way, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I can resurrect you out of anything, out of any doubt, out of any struggle. I can resurrect any relationship. I can resurrect purpose out of any dead dream, any business that dies, any economic chaos, any sickness. I can use anything for my glory. So you just need to know today, I am able, I am with you. I am good. I am the resurrection and the life. And you may just need to get on your knees and to declare to me, Jesus, this is what I need from you today. And his words that have been reverberating throughout the generations from Moses all the way to those disciples, to Mary and Martha, to you today, he will say to you, he will begin to speak over your life. I am exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, but you have to declare it. So I'm gonna end with this and I, I am gonna be done. This is how the story ends. That after this sign, so many people began to follow Jesus that this is actually the tipping point that led them to crucify Jesus. And ultimately they ended up crucifying Lazarus. And in verse 48, John writes this. This is kind of the final verse in this narrative. And as John writes it, cause he heard from somebody else that that this was the discussion that went on among the religious leaders after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And as John's writing this, he has to be almost laughing. Verse 48, he writes this. This is the religious leaders conversation. If we let him go, if we let him go on like this, and John's writing it, it's like, how arrogant. You don't let him do anything. He came willingly to give up his life. Nobody takes his life from him. He came with a purpose, on purpose, with you in mind. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And come on, they could have had no idea. It's inconceivable that 2000 years later, as I am broadcasting this to thousands of people and literally the local church, according to God's agenda is blowing up all over the world. A third of the world's population named Jesus as Messiah. They could have had no idea that this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, his message would explode all over the world. And then the Romans are gonna come and take away both our temple and our nation. And because they didn't see what they had, they lost the opportunity to obtain everything that Jesus was trying to give them. And they had no idea that in this moment, the light of the world was in their presence. And he came and he entered into evil and bad. And rather than right off the offset to eliminate the bad. He loved people in the midst of it. And then he went willing to the, willingly to the cross. And God the Father placed all of the weight of that evil and that bad on his son, Jesus, who died for our sin, died for everything that's broken in this world, past, present, and future. And then he walked out of the grave alive, validating everything that he said, that one day, every tear, every hurt, every evil, every bit of brokenness, it will all be taken care of. Jesus will right every wrong. He will handle every injustice. He will set us free and wipe away every tear. And so he says to us, today to you today. The light of the world is here to bring hope in the darkest circumstances. And the only way to make sense and to move forward into all that I'm doing, maybe not out of it, but through it is to follow me. I am the light of the world and there is hope. Would you just pray with me wherever you're at right now? And I know that may be kind of weird, but I want us just to enter into this moment wherever that physical location is and try to just eliminate all the distractions. And I want to just offer one invitation right now to all those maybe who've never placed their faith and their trust in Jesus. And I just wanna encourage you that, that this may be the moment for you. In fact, this may be the therefore personally for you that this whole season is about. 
what we're walking through is, is all about. For you personally, God wants to do something in your life. And I just wanna encourage you that a relationship with Jesus, hope in Jesus, coming into relationship with the resurrection and the life, it only happens as you personally accept and believe and trust in what Jesus has done for you. So to quote John's word, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in the name of Jesus. Would you just bow with me right now? And I wanna lead you in prayer and the prayer doesn't save you, but the prayer is, the, is your declaration of faith and trust in Jesus that you can't earn your way to God. You can't do enough good things to make yourself worthy. You can't undo the bad from your past. Jesus had to come and save you and rescue you from it. And salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. So I just wanna lead you in this prayer right now, wherever you are, to pray this, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I believe that you lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. And I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. I believe that you rose again. And right now, I'm placing my trust, the weight of my life, even with some questions, even with some doubts, I'm trusting you. One more time, pray this prayer if this is you, and then I'd love for you to reach out to us, to message us, to, to direct message us, to send something, um, to just let us know about this decision. But Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. I believe that three days later, you rose again. And right now I'm placing the weight of my life and my trust into you. Jesus, I trust you. I'm asking you to be my savior. And if that's you right now, we just wanna celebrate you and we'd invite you to just enter in with us, with our worship team in this final song. But I know many have made that decision today. Reach out, we wanna celebrate what God has done in your heart and in your life. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.